I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Erica Komisar, uh, LCSW, which is a licensed social worker. Her new book is Chicken Little, The Sky is Falling, Raising Resilient Adolescents in the New Age of Anxiety. Adolescence is a notoriously complicated time for kids as well as their parents. In addition, the epidemic of mental health disorders in young people today has made today's parenting even more challenging. However, parents of adolescents can still have a profound impact on the health and well-being of their children. Parenting expert Erica Komisar examines the struggles many parents face as their children enter adolescence, such as anxiety, depression, ADHD, behavioral issues, and addiction. Offering compassionate and practical advice, she helps readers learn how to prevent, recognize, and address these mental health disorders in their children. She's a clinical social worker, psychoanalyst, and parent guidance expert, uh, has been in private practice in New York City for over 30 years, and is a frequent contributor to the Wall Street Journal, New York Daily News, HuffPost, and the Washington Post. Welcome to the show, Erica. Nice to have you on. Thank you for having me. Well, as you mentioned before we got on the air, nice to have you back because I interviewed you for your first book. Now we're getting into adolescence, <laughs> which is a critical yeah. time in one's life, yes, and there are it's fraught with all kinds of issues. I know in the first book you talked about the first three years are critical in terms of brain development, et cetera, and I guess the in-between maybe isn't quite as, uh, I don't know what would you would say, we, we can take a little bit of a rest, uh, not really, with our kids, but then we get into adolescence and now we got a whole new set of issues, the ones that I just mentioned. So, like, where do we start with this? Because adolescence now is, is a very difficult time, and I think even because of COVID, and I'm not going to say post-COVID, because of our pandemics that we are facing, um, there are even more issues that we deal with when it comes to, to, to adolescence, I think, that have been sort of put upon us. So, uh, very, it's an important book, important issues. Um, where do we start with adolescence? I mean, all, you know, I mentioned all of the things, all of the mental health disorders that are possible and that parents really need mm-hmm. to be there and be on top of it, which many parents can't be or aren't today. They're not even at home because they can't be at home because they are still working, out, mothers particular, mm-hmm. outside of the household. Yeah. Yeah. So, as you said, adolescence under healthy circumstances is a traumatic event in in children's lives. You know, uh, hormonally and shifting social scenes, separating from parents, identity formation, finding their place in the adult world. I mean, that's hard enough. And then you take the extra stresses that we have today. They're much more intense uh, than, you know, when I grew up, I'm 57. So, you know, the the idea that there's more academic uh, pressure and competition, more choices, sensory overload, social media, we won't even get into social media. That's a, it's a whole thing in and of itself, um, the cancel culture, um, you know, global warming, on and on. So, you know, what are, what, basically what are adolescents, and adolescence is much longer uh, than we thought. It starts earlier. It starts as early as nine years old and goes till 25. Um, and what we know is that um, adolescence is the second critical window of brain development. As you said, the first book I wrote was about the first critical window where the environment really matters and parents are the environment. 
The second critical window where the environment really matters for right brain development is 9 to 25. And, you know, my specialty is parent guidance. And so that means that I work with parents to work with their children, basically to help their children through this time. Um, and, there, you know, I wrote this book because I wanted to help parents really in the end do what I know all parents want, which is to be closer to their children, um, but also to deal with all the misinformation and misunderstandings there are about adolescents. Um, and this epidemic of uh, mental illness in children and adolescents is, so extreme at this point. I mean, every year I think it can't get any worse. And every year the statistics, as you know, Catherine, get worse and worse. Um, and so, you know, th- this book was really my effort to provide parents with a, a complete comprehensive mental health guide uh, to help prevent mental health issues, to spot them when they occur, and then to know what to do about them. Um, really sort of a, a way for parents to have a go-to book on all these issues. Yeah, I think that's critical because I think sometimes parents, well, sometimes they're oblivious and they really don't recognize these mental health issues. On the other hand, I think many parents recognize it or have some inkling or are aware, but then they don't take it anywhere. Either they're afraid, they deny, yeah. we don't like to think that there's anything wrong with our kids. And we That's a big leap to get parents to actually, after being aware or recognize there might be a problem, then to do something about it. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, there's two issues. One is that I think with our, you know, with all good intentions, I think we want to believe that our children will be fine. And sometimes they are fine, but often today they're not fine. And I also think that it is um, a wound to us as parents when our children aren't fine. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel badly. Um, and and so I, I think there are many reasons why parents don't address these issues right away. And as you know, being in the mental health field, the sooner you can get to these issues professionally, the easier they are to deal with. So if you, if you wait too long, what happens with symptoms is they, they can some, sometimes subside or submerge. The problem is that they come back later with a vengeance. So we do want to, as parents, know what to look for, and then address the issues as quickly as possible and go for professional help. And, um, and you know, again, I, I, I am compassionate with parents who really have healthy defenses and don't want to believe that their child is suffering. You know, there's a T-shirt that says, um, you know, be comfortable with discomfort. And, and the idea is that, you know, parents have to be able to be comfortable with their children's discomfort to the extent that they then get help for them. I think a lot of parents are very uncomfortable with their children being uncomfortable or having uh, difficulties, and so then they'll turn away from those difficulties. Yeah, I think what happens is as a parent, one begins to feel guilty, and as you said, as you touched on, Mm -hmm. they feel that they are a bad parent, or one parent blames the other Mm -hmm. parent for it's your fault, not my fault, look what you're doing, you know, I'm the good parent, you're the bad parent. I want to put this also in the context of COVID, because in talking to people, just friends, colleagues, just people in general, uh, it seems mm-hmm. like, and this is anecdotal, but the consensus is that the quarantine, for instance, a year of quarantining was most difficult quarantining yeah. with their adolescents, not the little kids who are climbing up your leg and pulling down the, you know, 
ruining the couch and doing all those kinds of things. Yeah. But <laughs> the adolescent who was either in their room and with the door shut for a year or begging to get out or whatever the issues were, but it was really, really difficult. And what you see has been the impact on the on these teenagers or these adolescents and the family and the parents as well. Yeah, I mean, young children actually got a great deal out of COVID, a, a benefit, because yeah. they were with their parents more, which is what they need. Adolescents are sort of in, in, in the process of trying to physically separate from their parents and connect with their peer group and connect with other adults, coaches, teachers, people out in the environment uh, outside of their home so they can separate and individuate, right? Sort of find themselves in the context of who their parents are separately. So it's, it's part of their developmental task, right, to, to leave. So it has been hard, hardest on adolescents who have been more socially isolated from their peers who they need desperately. Um, but I also think that what happened between parents and adolescents uh, during COVID was not necessarily all a bad thing because I think what happened, too, is that parents, because they were around their adolescents more and their adolescents could always kind of squirm away from them, you know, kind of go to school, go to activities, uh, not be around very much. I think because they were around their parents more, parents could actually observe that their children were suffering, you know. So, so adolescents hide their suffering a little bit more than young children. Young children are sort of out there with it, whereas uh, adolescents can hide it. They close their door. They, as I said, they're out a lot. Um, but I think because parents were locked down with their adolescents, they actually, it was their, their mental health challenges, the adolescents' mental health challenges were more in the faces of the parents, which is not necessarily a bad thing because I think then parents were like, wow, I never really realized that how depressed my child was or how anxious they really are. Uh, we should get them help. Now, where can we, uh, let's let's start because we, we haven't been specific in terms of the book because you are very specific and the book is a guideline for parents once they recognize that they have yeah. whatever the issues are. So let's say, okay, I recognize it seems to me that my child or my adolescent, you know, there's something, their affect isn't quite right, maybe a little depressed, mm-hmm. not really sure, but, you know, they're doing really well in school. You know, they're getting A's and B's. That's not mm-hmm. an issue, you know, but some of these outside factors. What do you do as a parent? What are you looking mm-hmm. for? What sh- how, how should you act on your sort of your assumptions? Well, the good thing about the book is, you know, what I really wanted to create was sort of, uh, you know, there was a book for pregnant women called What to Expect When You're Expecting, which is, you know, really a guide. And so in this book, each chapter is a different uh, issue, condition that um, parents might face with their children. And so there is a chapter on anxiety and depression specifically that lists the symptoms to look for. And what we know is that, you know, we all have depressed or anxious moments. As adults, we have depressed or anxious days that could be circumstantial um, or hormonally related, or uh, whether we had enough sleep, whether we're sick. It's not the depressed or anxious moments that we're looking for with our adolescent. It's the intensity uh, and the chronicity or how long those symptoms last. And so if symptoms last of great intensity for more than two weeks, then there is an issue. And one of the biggest things we look for is social isolation, because as I said, 
socializing is a very critical part of development for adolescents. So we look for social isolation as a symptom. We look for sleep problems. And I don't mean going to sleep late because there's something called sleep-wake phase delay, which means that adolescents produce melatonin later in the evening, and it means that they don't get sleep pressure. They don't get tired till about 12 or 1 in the morning. Uh, I'm not talking about going to sleep later. I'm talking if they really don't sleep or wake up in the middle of the night or uh, sleep, you know, 15 hours, 16 hours a day, um, every day. Um, Eating changes, as you say, mood changes. Um, There's a whole list of things in in there, panic attacks or uh, bouts of anxiety. So, you know, we're looking for, as parents, we're looking for intensity and chronicity. And then when you see that, um, reaching out to a mental health professional, you know, right away, not waiting. Um, and And I say in the book, your first stop on that train shouldn't be a psychiatrist because psychiatrists uh, see mental health from a medication standpoint, and most adolescents don't need medication. Most of them need talk therapy. The first thing you start with is a uh, child or adolescent t- play therapist if they're a young child, but a talk therapist if they're, an, if they're an older child or an adolescent, and then they'll guide you as to whether that child needs to have a psychiatric evaluation or go to medication, but generally, most adolescents don't need medication. So we're talking about patterns of behavior in terms of intensity and chronicity. It's not just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, individual incidents, but there's there's a pattern there. You know, you, in the beginning, yeah. you said you didn't want to go into social media because that's a whole issue in and of itself. But when you talk about social isolation, now, does social isolation, yeah. let's say the, the adolescent is, in terms of social media, has lots of friends uh, on social media, does, is that... But doesn't have as many friends, in-person friends. How is that person mm. socially isolated or not? Yeah. So the problem too is having too many virtual friends and not enough real friends. So you know, adolescents need physical contact with their friends, not just remote digital contact. And I, I didn't mean to say I wouldn't talk about social media, <laughs> but I feel like we could do a whole segment yes, on social media right. and the brain. Um, but I will just touch on it, which is that social media. Uh, in and of itself is not evil. Um, I think it is It is in, in kids who have a healthy, emotionally secure base um, and a lot of contact with their parents who are helping them to process their experiences and their relationships and their feelings. That's what we're going for, open communication, um, parents having a lot of physical and emotional contact with their children, still helping them to process their feelings from experience to experience. With younger children, we say from moment to moment, but adolescents don't let parents regulate their emotions from moment to moment, but they will let them uh, regulate their experiences from when they occur, meaning, you know, if they're having difficulty at school or with uh, friendships or um, So I think social media is not necessarily evil, but with great intensity it is. And that's because um, the brain of an adolescent is incredibly sensitive to dopamine surges, meaning um, an excessive amount of anything that's stimulating, whether it's uh, food, drugs, alcohol, social media, digital, technological uh, use, gambling, um, pornography, the adolescent brain is incredibly sensitive to excess. And what that means is that if an adult uh, is on social media a lot, that basically will produce 
you know, a moderate amount of dopamine in their brain. But if an adolescent is on social media a lot, it produces over-the-top excessive amounts of dopamine, which leads to then addiction. And then we know that social media is filled with idealized images that make girls and boys feel less than and um, really attack, create kind of these harsh internal voices in their heads that are self-attacking. And so, you know, we know for many reasons social media is, is not good for kids in excess. You know, you mentioned the age range, 9 to 25, which is a wide age range when I think of 9-year-olds and 25-year-olds. And 25, isn't that rather a new concept? I mean, we don't usually think of 25-year-olds as adolescents, and then how you're describing their brain um, is, uh, at at that age, being so critical. I mean, at 25, they're already, most of them, out of the house, I'm assuming, um, and are young at adults, aren't they? Or, uh, yes. So, yeah. well, so it's interesting because I think the, the decade of the 90s was called the decade of the brain because we, we, we discovered technology where we could actually see the brain um, and could see that adolescents' brains were continuing the right brain or the prefrontal cortex or what we call the emotional regulation part of the brain wasn't fully developed till about 25. Um, and that means things like executive functioning, impulse control, emotional regulation, resilience to stress, all those parts of the brain were not fully developed. And what we know is that until 25, there's something called asymmetrical brain development. And that means that um, the the parts of the brain, the threat sensing parts of the brain, um, and and the um, the reward centers of the brain are very active until about 25, and the emotional regulation part of the brain lags behind. And so that means that, and, and you can see it in your 21, 22, 23 year old uh, kids. They still don't have all their executive functioning. They're still not organizationally quite there. Uh, they still are impulsive at times. They might still be binge drinking or they might still take risks they shouldn't or they might still be novelty seeking. You can actually see the same behaviors lessening, but the same behaviors until about 25. I'm thinking of the perfect storm. If you have a 25-year-old parent, let's say somebody graduated from college, it's not that, un- it's, I guess it is unusual, but say you have kids, so now you might have a, a two-year-old and a 25-year-old parent. That's a... <laughs> That could be a perfect storm for a disaster in terms of parent-child relationships, couldn't it? Yeah, it is. And it it is interesting, right? Because um, years ago, you know, young women were having babies earlier. And and so then you kind of think, now that we know what we know, how, how were those mothers able to really fully mother when they weren't fully mature themselves? And, you know, I think, I think it is, sort of a, a plus in the column of it is good if you if you can to wait a little longer till you're a little bit more developed um, and have experienced a little bit more of the world till you have children. Um, that doesn't mean people aren't going to have children under the age of 25, but it, it does sort of help us to understand how maybe a more mature brain uh, who can regulate itself, like in other words, in my book, I'm talking all about the fact that if you can't regulate your own emotions, if your emotions are volatile, if you're impulsive, if you can't, if you're not resilient to stress, if you have low self-esteem, it's very hard then to help your child, right? So one of the things in the book I advocate for is 
for parents to be very self-reflective and self-aware. So if they are struggling with these issues themselves, they go get help. They go speak to someone so they can then better regulate their children and help their adolescents. Well, Erica, that was going to be my last question since we have a couple minutes left. You just answered it because I was going to... No. The flawed parent, which we all are in some ways, right? And being able to recognize what our own flaws are so that we can get help, so that we can help our kids, because that is also the first uh, the the first step i guess but there's so many other things in the book it's it really it, it is it is a comprehensive guide for parents it's great and i think parents are struggling for that kind of information particularly today as you yeah. say because these issues that we discussed in the beginning are are really on the rise uh, given where our culture our society is now so give us a website and or websites to go to to get more information about the book to buy the book and your other book um and also information about you and your work and what you're doing. Yep, my, my website is www.comisar.com. And you can buy both Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters, and Chicken Little, The Sky Isn't Falling, uh, Raising Resilient Adolescents in the New Age of Anxiety. And you can also find me on Twitter, uh, at Erica Comisar CSW on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. So you are a mom who does use social media. <laughs> we have to clarify that. Right? I do only, <laughs> only, yeah, only professionally and only to get the word out. So yeah, but but not on a personal level. Actually, I don't use it personally at all. I don't use uh, have a personal Facebook page, but I've never ever used it. Um, I far prefer real contact with real people. <laughs> Okay, well, that's very interesting. So you really, you use that as a business, it's part of your business information. It's part Uh, of my, yeah, yeah, it's part of helping get the message and and the book's messages out. Great. Well, great talking to you today, and thanks so much for all the information. Uh, The title of Erica's book is Chicken Little, The Sky Isn't Falling, Raising Resilient Adolescents in the New Age of Anxiety. Erica Komisar, LCSW. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> <laughs> 